Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the day of love, Valentine's Day. I do sincerely hope that we just turn it into Pura Vida Day. Yeah, we're all on the Costa Rican kick. I'll get to that in a second. There's a question in the boostograms. Uh, it is, yes, Valentine's Day, the 14th of February, 2023. This is episode 271. 271, Jesus. No, it's episode 671 of Bitcoin and I can't even remember show 271. Oh my God, it was so long ago. I was looking at my metrics of the podcast and uh, ever since, you know, it's an ama- it's, it's amazing that ever since Noster came around and I've been posting the, uh, uh, the show, you know, the show announcement on Noster, uh, my, uh, my engagement with the podcast has shot up quite substantially. In fact, I'm a month and a half in on this year. And I've already crushed the entire year of 2019. And I've decimated the entire year of 2020 as far as how many listens I, I got for like a full year, full 12 months of 2019. I mean, I, I just, I walked all over it in the first half of the month of January or yeah, the first half of January this year, I completely destroyed those numbers. And then, you know, we're what, halfway through February, something like that, a little bit over. And, but, you know, the total number between January and the first two weeks of February, and I've completely destroyed all the numbers in 2020. I'm about to destroy all the numbers of 2021. It's, it's amazing. So thank you guys for uh, tuning in and listening and Helping me grow the show. You know, honestly, here's the thing. I'd be damned honest with you. Most people would have quit by now after five years of doing a show that just seemed to just, you know, I do it because I love it. I don't do it because I'm seeking attention. And I, I, I can safely say that. You know why? Because if I did this show simply because I was seeking attention, I would have hung that shit up at the end of 2020. I would have been like, dude, this is not worth it. It's just not worth it. You know, there's no, I mean, it's a vow of poverty. So the monetary inflow being what it is, which is next to nothing, that's one thing. I, you know, I've, my time preference has completely changed since Bitcoin came into my life. I don't look at anything the way that I used to look at things. I've been completely deprogrammed by actual real money and what it means, the history of it, how we've been interacting with it, 
why the hell it was developed in the first place. And it's not like some caveman said, you know what we need? We need money. That's what we need. No, no. Nature built money for us as an extension of us because we interact with nature. The answers will come to us as a species. As the species does things and interacts with its environment in certain particular ways. Lizards don't need money. Birds, they don't need money. Something about the way that the stoned ape theory came around where, you know, humans developed a cortex that's much bigger than most other animals on the planet. And all of a sudden we needed to interact with, you know, greater and greater groups of people. And for another, you know, that's one of probably a thousand reasons why money came into being. But no caveman sat out there and said, you know, we need, we need money. And it's going to be defined like this. Now, it's not, it doesn't work that way. But once I found Bitcoin, well, you know, everything that I thought I knew that was true, I had to admit that it was not true. It was a lie. And if it wasn't a lie, it was just a, it was a perception that was clearly wrong. And that's how I know that I'm not doing it for attention. You know, I mean, when, when my February numbers, you know, crushed the first you know, two, two full years, 24 months. And the 2018 shows that started in October, right? So October, November, December, I had like a, a, maybe a, I don't know, a little bit less than a full quarter of a year on 2018. Those numbers are non-existent. When I'm looking at the graph, my 2022 numbers are so high up that everything that happened in 2018, I can't even, I can barely even see it. I actually have to go to that year to see what the numbers are looking like. And it's embarrassing. So rest assured, ladies and gentlemen, I ain't doing this for attention. I'm doing this because I absolutely adore doing it, which is why I have to apologize for not bringing you a show yesterday. Had to take the girl to uh, my daughter to the doctor. Swimmer's ear apparently is what it was, but, uh, yeah, she was having some problems with her ear. So, uh, family always comes first. Family should come first. Uh, as much as I love you guys, you will always take a back seat to my family. And that's, you know, if you get offended by that, then I, I, I don't know what to do with you because if I were to actually put somebody I don't know before my family, you should come to my door and shoot me. Honestly. Now, <clears throat> boostograms. Let's see what we got. From show uh, 670, Pitar with the striper boost, uh, 7777 sat, says, why is everyone suddenly on the Costa Rica Pura Vida kick all of a sudden? Okay, Pitar, that's because of Nostrica or Nostrica, however you want to pronounce it. What is it? Well, Pitar, it's the first Noster conference. It was... I don't know if it's actually being completely hosted and set up by Jack Dorsey of Twitter fame, but he seems to be the one to uh, have at least elicited the idea in the Noster minds and him and like, I guess at least a couple of other people kind of ran with the, ran with the story as it were. And all of a sudden in a little coastal town in Costa Rica, there will be the first Noster Rica Noster conference, and I can't remember the name of the town. It doesn't matter. Just hashtag Noster Rica, all one word. Uh, you know how to spell it. Just Noster and Ica, that I-C-A. That'll get you to it. 
uh, you'll figure out real quick. However, they already topped. It's coming in March, so it's coming up, and I think it's mid-March. It's coming up. They've already capped uh, or hit their cap of 320 individual bodies that will be there in the flesh in the country of Costa Rica for the on-site version. And I think there are well over 500 people that have signed up and paid to uh, be part of the conference from remote. And I don't know what that looks like. I, I am not going to be attending either one. However, Pura Vida is simply the saying that is sort of endemic to Costa Rica, which basically means pure life. The only reason that I know this is that there was a little restaurant <clears throat> in a mountain town that I always go to, and its name was, in fact, Pura Vida. And it was owned by a guy that owns a restaurant in Costa Rica, and that cafe is of the same name, Pura Vida. Uh, he opened this one up in southwestern Colorado, and it did very well for a good, oh, I want to say a good 10, 12 years. And then guess what happened? That's right. Everybody got scared to go outside and be with other people in public. And his, like a lot of restaurants that were smaller operations, just they just got crushed. And so he closed it down and moved. You know, he was spending six months out of the year in Southwest Colorado. He was sending the, spending the other six months in, you know, Costa Rica. And he just went back to Costa Rica and said, fuck all this. You guys are insane. So we lost a really good restaurant up by the lake. And the funnest thing about that restaurant, it's, it's a Bloody Mary bar on, at their Sunday brunch. Oh, man, it was good. And they had good Costa Rican food. I mean, as much as they did it, they did Costa Rican as well as they could with the raw food materials that they could get in the United States. And honestly, I, I think that they did a damn good job. Now, uh, Fatoshi says, cheers, 5,555 sats. Fatoshi again with 1010, 1,010 sats says, oh, and on the topic of coffee, David Sinclair, the guy behind the xenohormesis theory says poison makes you stronger. Trees grown indoors fall over. Here's to poison bean juice. Yeah, trees grown in, indoors do fall over. Why? There's no wind. They don't have to fight any kind of resistance at all. And because of that, their superstructure will not hold the weight of a full-grown tree, no matter what the species is. May, you might be able to get, get away with it, like with grasses, like bamboo or something like that, but like you know, like a full-blown tree, you have to have that wind. It's sort of like lifting weights. It tears down your muscles. It literally rips muscle fibers, and then your muscles heal by building more fibers, and that's end up how you gain muscle mass. Same thing with the tree. As the wind blows the tree around, it rips the fibers inside the tree a little bit, and then the tree has to heal. And the more times it does that, the stronger and stronger and stronger the trunk gets. And its branches do the same. They get stronger and stronger so that they don't fall off in a windstorm. But if you were to uncover a tree that had been grown indoors, right, into a windstorm, it would blow over in five seconds. If you keep it inside, eventually its own weight will be its demise because it never developed the strength through the resistance to be able to survive its own weight. So good point, 
uh, Fatoshi, Nick underscore dose with uh, 369 says, cheers. And Fatoshi for the last one says, with 101 Satoshi says, if I recall correctly, coffee originated in Lebanon. So I'm guessing that's what they drink in the morning. Yeah, when the IMF lives on Mars extracting rent from Earth, you bet we're all getting devalued. Let's build for us, not for them. Yeah, that's a good point, which brings me back to the numbers of uh, the Bitcoin and podcast, the metrics of listeners been going up. I can't prove that it's because of Noster. I can't, I, there's no way to know, honestly. However, it seems very likely that that is the cause. So why do I bring it up again? I, I honestly believe that I, I still don't understand why people that know better, and I'm really looking at you, all you Bitcoiners, are still on the Bird app. And I'm not making a plea to, you know, kill your, your Twitter account and just do Nostra full time. Here's what I am, here's what I do want. If any cross-posting is to be done, if there's a way that I could make, like if I still was able to get on Twitter, if there was a way that I could post a note on Noster and have some third party pick that up and convert it into a tweet, and I authorized that third party's website to have access to my Twitter account, then it would auto-tweet it for me. And if we got a, if that were to happen and we didn't do it from the other way, I am getting real tired of seeing people posting their Twitter shit on Noster so that it's an actual link that takes me to Bird App. I don't want to see it. Do I have control over it? No. Do I have some influence over it? Well, if I got influence over, you know, telling you guys that you might think about not doing that and you actually take my advice, then yes, I have some influence over it. So I will at least do that, you know, and plead with you guys, please, please, please don't, don't, don't post Twitter links. If anything, we should be posting Noster note links to Twitter and not the other way around. Somehow with a way that that link is like visibly like a, a stamp on it, or it comes with a, I don't know, some kind of watermark that says this is from Noster, fuck Twitter or something like that. You know, maybe not that hardcore, but you know, something that makes sure that if people see it, they go, oh God, it's yet more Noster stuff. Branding people, branding. If we get like hundreds and hundreds of Bitcoiners that are already on Noster to do that, that would be awesome. Now, I don't know if Elon is going to get his panties in a sniff again and try to shut down any account that mentions Noster. Right now, he seems pretty hands-off, but there was at least two times in the past where he was shutting down people's accounts or at least had warned everybody through terms of service, you can't do this. You can't talk about another third party, you know, some other app that is social media. You just can't do it. You can't mention it. I'll, I'll, I'll hammer you. So I don't know. I don't know what the danger is anymore because I have been completely detoxified from Twitter since last November or October, whenever it was they kicked me off. So last words before we hit the news. If somebody out there knows how to code that shit up, please make it so. And then I will encourage everybody to go use that so that all of your Noster notes go over to your Twitter accounts. If you so choose to face that danger, if said danger actually exists, 
and so that those people can figure out what the hell's going on because Noster after Bitcoin is one of the most important things to have happened. You will say, but Mastodon and Fediverse, I, the, the user experience isn't there like it is for Noster. It's not there. It's like, I just want a single river to go to. I don't want to be plying around, you know, walking around in a Delta with like multiple streams of information all around. And if I want to get to the information, I got to remember that it's at the other part of the Delta. You know, if you look at a river Delta, how the river just kind of goes through all, you know, creates a sandbar and then all of a sudden it's directed in 50,000 different ways. That's what Fediverse feels like. That is not what Nostra feels like. Nostra feels like a single stream or fire hose, if you will, of information pouring out. And it's up to you at any part of the river you're standing on to be able to scoop out the shit that you want. And we use that with filters, mutes, blocks, uh, all kinds of stuff. And all that's coming. But the funnest thing that just hit Nostra for me over the last few days is Zap Function on snort.social and Domus. And I believe Nostrogram.co uh, has it too. Um, I haven't got back on Nostrogram yet. Well, I have, but I'm a little you know, worried that if I get back on there again, because I had to follow 800 people or 750 people twice because something was going weird. And I don't think it was with Nostagram. It was something weird about my Nostagram's relationship with Albi and how Albi signed me in with my, pri- uh, with my public and private keys. And somehow or another, I did something where I lost all my relays in Noster. And I think somehow or another, when I started putting those relays back, those relays picked up something in my Noster bio that said I wasn't following anybody because I had lost all my relays. And then it overwrote that shit to my, uh, to my other Noster clients. Be careful, be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. And if for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you lose all the people that you are following, your followers you don't lose, but if for, for whatever reason, you lose the people that you're following, go to a known, like Corn DeLorean, you can go to, you know, my, my Noster, uh, none your business. You can go to any other, like, you know, Greg, Greg Zaj, go to their profile, find the people that they follow and just follow the whole freaking list. Now on snort.social, you can do that and go to somebody's like follow list. And there's a button that says follow all. And if you've got a hold of a good account to do that from, you're going to get back most of the actual signal that you lost. And yeah, it'll be a little different, but we're very early. And so are inscriptions. Is it just a fad? or a real threat to Bitcoin becoming decentralized money. Stephen Levera has something that he's written about this subject at Bitcoin Magazine. <clears throat> so we've recently seen a Bitcoin transaction take up nearly an entire block and default mempools at 300 megabytes get filled up. What's going on with all this ordinals and inscriptions madness? The quick explainer. Ordinals are a made up way, arbitrary think that that word is actually arbitrary, but here it is for Steven. Ordinals are a made up way of tracking sats, fraction of a Bitcoin across transactions. Now, 
I stress it is a made up way of tracking sats as it does not meaningfully impact Bitcoin's fungibility. As explained by creator Casey Rodemore on my podcast, it's a convention of numbering sats in the order they're mined into existence and tracking them across transactions in a first in first out method. So as Bitcoin transactions are made up of inputs and outputs, the first Satoshi in the first input is considered to be transferred to the first output of a transaction. There are conventions around which ordinals are uncommon, rare, epic, etc. Let's, let's look at that. There, he gives a, a, a little picture of it. It says, common Satoshis. Well, that would be any sat that is not the first sat of its block. Uncommon Satoshis is the first Satoshi of each block. Rare. The first sat of each difficulty adjustment period. Epic. The first Satoshi of each having epoch. Legendary. The first sat of each cycle. And mythic the first Satoshi of the Genesis block. And from what I understand, that's never going to move because the first 50 Bitcoin in the Genesis block are unable to move for reasons other than Satoshi's dead or doesn't have his key. Even if he's alive and wants to move Bitcoin, he ain't moving the first 50. And there's reasons behind that, but it's, it's a little technical, so I'll, I'll skip it. Now, what's an inscription? An inscription is another made up convention where Satoshis can be inscribed with arbitrary content, a kind of Bitcoin native digital artifact or NFT, if you so please. Using the convention, they can be sent around and stored in a Bitcoin unspent transaction output. Now, because they are coded in such a way that they are written into transaction witnesses, they never enter the UTXO set. The UTXO set is seen as having heightened consideration for the network because every node, even pruned nodes, must maintain this UTXO set. So I guess it could have been worse. What's the bull case for ordinals and inscriptions? To steel man the case a little, the pro-ordinals and inscriptions case could broadly be understood as, quote, come for the fun, rich art, stay for the decentralized digital money, end quote. You could also agree with some of the critiques of shitcoin NFTs and see this as a way of arguing that Bitcoin does it better, e.g. Bitcoin inscriptions are immutable, always on chain, simpler and more secure than shitcoin NFTs. Concerns raised with inscriptions. Well, the main concerns here are, one, reduced accessibility to transact on Bitcoin because of inscription NFT degens, creating a transaction backlog and paying a lower fee per real byte because of the witness discount. Reduced ability for users to run a full Bitcoin node because of the increased storage and bandwidth requirements. The possibility of illegal material being recorded into Bitcoin's blockchain that might discourage some users from running a Bitcoin node. Of course, there are counter arguments as well. One, <clears throat> Bitcoin was eventually going to develop a fee block space market anyway, and this may help with long-term viability of the network. Inscriptions may just form a low-value backlog of transactions. And two, bandwidth and storage costs have come down over the years since 2017, though arguably bandwidth over Tor may still be problematic for those syncing a full node in a more private fashion. It could also be argued that it's all still within conservative design limits that the network effectively accepted in 2017. 
illegal material on chain was always possible because you can't fully stop stenography on Bitcoin. Sten, actually, it's steganography, steganography. That's when you represent information within another message in such a manner that the presence of the information is not evident to normal human inscription or inspection. Revisiting old debates in Bitcoin, purpose, scaling, and more. Some are arguing that, quote, we shouldn't have raised the block size with SegWit and the witness discount back in 2017. And to some extent, this later latest ordinals and inscriptions trend is raising similar questions as those of the in the Opraturn Wars all the way back from 2014. So what is Bitcoin for? And should arbitrary data that doesn't relate to financial transactions be encouraged or discouraged on Bitcoin's blockchain? Taproot's not to blame. Some commenters were initially blaming the Taproot soft fork for inscriptions, but Taproot seems to only save about 4% on the cost of inscriptions. It's also worthwhile to note that this kind of thing was possible with SegWit and beforehand with Opraturn, and even before that with fake signatures as explained by Adam Back, who says it's unrelated to Taproot. <clears throat> they could do it with SegWit before and before they could do it with Opraturn. Before that, with fake signatures. <clears throat> Can't really stop stenat steganography. The discount isn't really that big of a factor. Bitcoin price and fee rate dwarf it in a bull market. So what are the cultural issues? Well, some ETH huffers and crypto, in quotes, people are enjoying this moment because in their eyes, they can stick it to the maxis. And those of a more Bitcoin fundamentalist persuasion, i.e. the people who believe Bitcoin should be money. I'm closer to the fundamentalist camp myself, seeing my mission as being about advancing Bitcoin as money. And surely after all the effort of Bitcoin developers to optimize and use block space more efficiently, the inscriptions on chain seem wasteful and unnecessarily decreasing Bitcoin's accessibility for use in financial transactions. Some argue that taking actions against Bitcoin inscriptions is censorship and that it's wrong to view these transactions as spam given that they pay a Bitcoin transaction fee. But in the end, it comes to the purpose of the project. While yes, it's true that Bitcoin is designed to be censorship resistant and that NFTs arguably started on Bitcoin in years gone by, and it did, Bitcoin is arguably meant to be more about decentralized and peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. So can the trend realistically be stopped? Short of a drastic action, probably not. At least that's what Andrew Polster spelled out in a recent post on the Bitcoin dev mailing list. And Andrew Polster writes, unfortunately, as near as I can tell, there is no sensible way to prevent people from storing arbitrary data in witness without incentivizing even worse behavior and or breaking legitimate use cases. If we ban, quote, useless data, then it would be easy for would-be data stores to instead embed their data inside useful data, such as dummy signatures or public keys. Doing so would incur a 2x cost to them, but if 2x is enough to disincentivize stores, then there's no need to have this discussion because they will be forced to stop due to fee competition in the market anyway. And if not, it means there is little demand for Bitcoin block space. So what's the problem with paying miners to fill, <coughs> sorry, to fill it with data that validators don't even need to perform real computation on? But if we were to ban useful data, for example, saying that a witness can't have more than 20 signatures in it, 
then we're into the same problem we had pre-Taproot, that it is effectively impossible to construct signing policies in a general and composable way because any software that does so will need to account for multiple independent limits. We deliberately replaced such limits with, quote, you need to pay 50 weight for each signature, end quote, to make this sort of analysis traceable. There's a reasonable argument that this sort of data is toxic to the network, since even though, quote, the market is willing to bear, end quote, the price of, the price of scarce block space. If people were storing NFTs and other crap on the chain, then the Bitcoin fee market would become entangled with random pump and dump markets, undermining legitimate use cases, and potentially preventing new technologies like Lightning Network from gaining a strong foothold. But from a technical point of view, I do not see any principled way to stop this. It's also the wrong play to be too reactive about inscriptions and try to take some drastic action to soft fork or making inscriptions unviable at a technical level. There are arguably bigger fish to fry, like helping improve Bitcoin adoption as money and helping encourage further decentralization in the custody of Bitcoin, the mining of Bitcoin, the scalability and verifiability of Bitcoin, etc. Ossification? Not yet. Even... Some, sorry, some even go as far as to argue that, quote, oh, this is a mistake and we must ossify the Bitcoin protocol now to stop any further mistakes, end quote. I think this would be an error. There are various software ideas that are opt-in, do not harm users, and could help scale Bitcoin self-custody. For example, any prev out or op vault. Any prev out in particular is interesting to me because someday with global adoption, we may have approximately 80,000 times the transactional demand that we have now. In that world, any prev out enables an upgrade to L2, E-L-T-O-O, L2 Lightning, giving us a way to share the cost of on-chain transactions in a self-custodial way. If we want Bitcoin to be used in a way that's more self-sovereign, we ideally want people to be able to afford to take self-custody on-chain. Without this, they may be confined into custodial platforms because the cost of self-custody is too prohibitive. L2 also has various benefits for Lightning, such as making backups easier. Yes, we should be conservative, but we should also consider technologies that help Bitcoin be the best that it can be at digital hard money. I'm gonna come back to that, so highlight you. And bottom line, while I'm against inscriptions in a sense and would rather they be socially discouraged, I also don't think it's worth getting too worried about them for right now. For all we know, they could be a short-lived fad, but even if they are not a short-lived fad, what's the most likely outcome here? Low value inscriptions will likely be priced out by financial transactions over time, as Bitcoin gets adopted by more people. It's just that adoption happens in a lumpy way and it's concentrated into periods of high use, as seen in 2013, 2017, and again in 2021. And then periods of relative doldrums as transaction volume subsides and new technology and scaling techniques are applied. As, or, or as eloquently memed here, and then Derjiji has a meme of, it, it basically shows the four cycle or the cycle of humanity where it's like, oh, what does it say? Let's see if I can do this without really screwing shit up. Oh, and of course it's taking me to Twitter. 
beautiful background with Roman soldiers pointing in the distance. And it says, high fees, create efficient use of block space. The second picture, a glorious shot at the internal city of Rome at its height. And it says, efficient use of block space creates low fees. And then tumult at the temple in Rome. And it says, low fees create inefficient use of block space. And then the final picture is Rome on fire. And then it says, inefficient use of block space creates high fees. And that's that fourth turning thing right? It's sort of the same, same idea. But getting back to it, over the medium to long terms, financial transactions will come to dominate in Bitcoin. Other uses of Bitcoin will be subordinate to its use as decentralized money for the internet. So that's Stephen Levera's take. Now, let's go back up here. Yes, we should be conservative, but we should also consider technologies that help Bitcoin be the best that it can be at being digital hard money. What is the best? See, that's a problem. We, I want to make, I, it's not that I think Stephen's wrong. I think we just need to be careful when we, when we end up in these very arbitrary styles of speaking. I want to help Bitcoin be the best that it can be for me. And I think that my idea of what's best for Bitcoin is right for you too. Is that correct? No. It's not correct. It's just absolutely not. And we don't have, I don't think there's ever been an actual mission statement by Satoshi or any of the core devs that said, this is what we, that this is what Bitcoin will be. Other than decentralized hard money. Well, how do you get there? I mean, think about coinage, the original fucking NFT. You stamp the, you know, the, the, I don't know, emboss the uh, likeness of your leader onto your shitcoin, right? Just, you know, stamp it right on there. And in fact, it is the case that almost all money on the face of this planet has been drafted, or at least the images presented are from artists. You, I mean, it was. You think the guy at the United States Mint that first minted the first quarter with George Washington on it? You think he actually did the art for that? No, no. There was teams of you know, either like one or two that were commissioned, and then you get into dollar bills and ten dollar bills and all the the hatching and and artistry that goes on in making like money, whether for the you know British pound sterling or. United States dollar or any of these fiat shit coins. There's some beautiful art. You, I have to admit, I'm looking, you know, if I look at a $50 bill, I'm looking at a grant. I think that's on the 50. I'm looking at the bill going, shit, this is beautiful. This is an intricate work of art. It just so happens to be worth money. Am I arguing for NFTs and inscriptions and ordinals? No, I don't like them. But I am acknowledging to you and to myself and to the universe at large that I can't do a damn thing about them. The question always is this. Does Bitcoin allow it? Then it will be done. Let's, let's, move, on from, let's move on from there. Uh, I am just not going to do that one or that one. We got, we got to move on. Uh, no, I'm not going to do that one either. Now, this one, we're getting into some world news here. 
as its central bank limits cash and pushes a CBDC, Nigeria needs Bitcoin. Yes, it does. Bitcoin Magazine, Heritage Faludun is writing this one. I don't know if that's Haludun. I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Nigeria, <clears throat> Africa's most populated country, introduced a central bank digital currency, the e-Naira, into its financial system in late 2021, an action that paved the way for different sets of financial policies, regulations, and restrictions from the country's central bank. In an attempt to drive consumers toward alternative options like its CBDC, the Nigerian government has now put restrictions on the amount of cash that can be withdrawn. It has limited cash withdrawals from banks to about $225 US, which is around 100,000 Naira per week with a daily limit of about $45. This is another example of how Nigeria's financial terrain has been a roller coaster of economic sabotage since the launch of the e-Naira. In the words of Godwin Mfil, the governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria, the whole point of the CBDC is to, quote, ensure that more people in this country are financially included. If you see a lot has happened in terms of the evolution of money from commodity to metallic, then paper to plastic, and now we are talking of digital. And so we need to be at pace with where the world is moving, end quote. In his view, Nigerians should have found that the CBDC is a solution to their financial predicaments, such as inflation, monetary censorship, rigorous payment rails, epileptic cross-border payment channels, and rigid access to foreign exchange, among others. Not surprisingly, the reverse has been the case. As the situations on the ground in Nigeria right now is gradually moving from banking the unbanked to unbanking the banked. On February the 2nd, 2023, just two days after the initial January 31st, 2023 deadline set by the Central Bank of Nigeria for all Nigerians to return the old Naira denominations of 200, 500, and 1,000 Naira notes, a Nigerian named Aluwasigan Kosimani tweeted, I just spent 1,000 Naira from my Naira MasterCard by GT Bank to buy 10,000 Naira cash from a Palm Pay NGPOS point of sale. The Nigerian government is intentionally forcing its citizens into a cashless Keynesian economy while they position their surveillance CBDC, the Eve Naira, as the final destination. End quote. God damn, this is scary as shit, dude. As this example shows, the well-informed Nigerian youth, which happens to be about 70% of Nigeria's population, understand that these regulations are mostly about financial control. They are about pushing a cashless policy in which the government has complete and utter control over all citizenry while having the luxury of tracking every single transaction. Judging with the less than 0.5% adoption rate of the e-Naira since its launch 16 months ago, it seems that only government actions such as cash restrictions that Nigerians are battling with right now will force people toward using the CBDC. Nevertheless, the Nigerians' disposition is visible to the blind and audible to the deaf as the country regula regularly tops the list of highest Bitcoin and crypto exposure and adoption. To learn more about the balance between Bitcoin adoption and being forced toward the e-Naira, I spoke with a few businesses, uh, business owners in Nigeria. Eric Ogbekene, 
who works in the media and tech industry there, also runs a bespoke men's fashion business on the side, said, quote, The cash swap policy has been ridiculous, to say the least. Today, February the 4th, 2023 alone, you could not get any physical cash in the entire Garki ultra-modern market in Abuja, Nigeria. People are unable to take care of little business deals like cash for services, transportation, etc. It's so bad because even the traditional banking applications seem to be overwhelmed by the sudden surge in transactions and cannot cope, end quote. I interviewed an over-the-counter Bitcoin liquidity provider named, there's no way I can pronounce it, popularly known as Pander by his customers and merchants. Quote, how long have you been coping with business amidst this new policy and cash shortage, I asked. Quote, bro, e no day easy like that, ooh, but we day push am. Oh my God, I can't, don't write it like that. Uh, he said, okay, that's maybe this is the translation. It's crazy. It are, it affected our P2P dealings a bit on exchanges as most transactions keep showing bank network errors. And also there are limits on transactions and high charges. But as you know, Bitcoin will always find a way out for us amidst all the restrictions. Although we had low access to cash over the counter, we keep pulling the P2P transactions through with Bitcoin and Tether using our existing conventional ways, end quote. Mary Amaswin, a Bitcoin podcast host, has tweeted that, quote, if vendors were open to accepting Bitcoin payments, we wouldn't have to deal with the craziness happening in the country right now, end quote. Sharing her odyssey amid the cash and transaction struggles, she experienced people withdrawing 20,000 Naira with 3,000 Naira as the charge being paid to the merchants. Holy shit. She has stated that money is being sold for money right now. That's right. Money costs money, especially when you get into shit like this. Nigeria has always been a cash-based society. And with current issues, people can't get cash from banks or ATMs. Those who do get cash must pay for it at a premium. And the prices for things everywhere else have skyrocketed. Perplexed as I am by the government's actions, I feel that Nigerians are resilient. It's no wonder that Ray Youssef, the CEO of Paxful, has written that, quote, the youth of Nigeria taught me to think beyond the financial system of the West and look into alternative payments to buy Bitcoin, end quote. Nigerians need to know right now that the CBDCs are here and that slowly but surely the government will continuously restrict their access to cash until it's gone and it has fully taken away everyone's financial freedom. Proffering sustainable solutions, the best bet and only solution for Nigerians toward attaining a decentralized cashless economy is through Bitcoin, which it fundamentally, which is fundamentally different from the cage of financial slavery spearheaded with CBDCs. Bitcoin's blockchain democratizes finance with proof of work by enabling transactions in a distributed, open and transparent ledger while CBDCs offers a centralized and closed source fabric, which gives full control and issuance to the government. Until Nigerians decide to intrinsically separate money from state actors, the masses will remain slaves to central authorities. Ultimately, this is more of an opportunity for Nigeria to opt out and break the shackles of financial restrictions with Bitcoin. This is just sad. So the gist of this entire story is that the bank, uh, Central Bank of Nigeria, 
because nobody gives a shit about their stupid ass e naira CBDC slave coin is now restricting the amount of cash Nigerians can get. And throughout this story, what we actually saw was that they can't even get that. And if they're lucky enough to get cash from anywhere, they're paying a hefty premium. That woman that, that said that they had, you know, merchants that were trying to, that had to get $20,000 Naira in cash and paid 3,000 to do it. That should be the warning bell. This is all bad. Okay. <clears throat> it, it, it's hard to bring you good news. I mean, it's not that I just select the doom and gloom stories, ladies and gentlemen, this is what I get. It's been a while since I've read just a stellar story that made me happy and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we got to take the, the bad with the good. Right now, it's just bad. What will Nigeria do? I don't know. I keep waiting for a complete overthrow of a government by the citizenry. Not, not a junta, not a military group, not a competing faction in the existing government. No, I mean, just citizens overrunning and seizing the armories and equipping themselves with guns. Oh, I, you know, I know it's like, it's awful to think about, but I just, I'm, I'm amazed that it hasn't happened yet. I'm amazed that the human spirit is able to say, you know what? I just, I just don't want to commit this violence. I just don't want to do it. But I get the feeling that we're getting really close to where that, that just breaks. I wish it wouldn't. But when you do this to a mass amount of people for so long and you just give them no hope over and over and over again, they're going to find hope just like they found Bitcoin. You just better not be in the way of it. Hey, let's, uh, let's run numbers. Here's all the news that's fit to read. Dow has dropped 200 points. Sell-off intensifies after hotter-than-expected January CPI report. That is the headline from CNBC that's going to start us off. So the consumer price index numbers have been released for January, and they came in at, I think it's 6.4. Yeah, 6.4 annual rate. And it looks like some people were expecting uh, six point, oh, let's see, six point, oh, no, can't tell what other people were thinking of. Anyway, it came in hotter than, than they thought. And so now the market is reacting. Uh, let's figure out how bad. Okay, let's start with oil. West Texas Intermediate is down eh, almost a point and a half, $79.99. Brent North Sea is down one and a third point to $85.50. Natural gas is doing its thing, swinging for the fences today, 7.65% to the upside, 2.58 United States dollars there. Gasoline down a full two points to $2.48 a gallon. Metals are not looking hot. Uh, gold is down 0.05%, $1,862.60. Silver down 0.17 to $21.81. Platinum down almost a full two and a half points. Copper's the only one that's up and it's up by half a point. Palladium is down three and a half points. 
Ag is mixed. Biggest winner is coffee, 2.94% to the upside. Biggest loser is rough rice, 1.37 to the down. Indices, we got the Dow down half a point. S&P down a quarter of a point. NASDAQ's the only winner, but not by much. One-tenth of a percentage point to the upside. S&P down a quarter of a point. Real money, $22,113.78. And that's after, what, 422,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. Average transaction values are 1.38 BTC. Median transaction values are 0.016 BTC or about 350 bucks. Block times are low, eight minutes and 53 seconds. We have 0.158 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Woo, 25 and a half BTC in fees taken over the last 24 hour period. And with a 3% rise in hash rate, we are now at 312.3 exahashes per second. Doge, your shitcoin indicator, holding at 8.3 United States pennies. So that's pretty much what the rest of the shitcoin market is doing. We have a $427.4 billion market capitalization. That is 3.52% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 12.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,290,689 0.85 of and 5,374.5 of those are in the Lightning Network, marked at $119.1 million being run over 16,114, nope, 146 nodes, sporting 76,082 payment channels that we know about, and 68.4% of all that's being run over Tor and its associated 11,411 nodes. We have how many? Yeah, we have 18,993 transactions waiting on 64 blocks to clear. Uh, It looks like the minimum fee rate is two Satoshis per V-byte. We have an estimated difficulty change that is going to increase the difficulty of Bitcoin by 8.1%. And that is due to come in sometime February 25th, 2023. That's gonna do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Continuing with our little thing about CBDCs, I got this one from Joseph Hall, writing for Cointelegraph. United Kingdom think tank launches a crusade against surveillance CBDCs. Let's see if these guys are on the right side of history. The United Kingdom Tax Reform Council has launched a campaign against the Bank of England's plan to introduce a central bank digital currency. The nonprofit organization warns that such a move could seriously harm individual privacy and lead to intrusive changes to the taxation system. The freshly formed Tax Reform Council includes monetary economist John Chone, co-founder of the Institute of Fiscal Studies, on its advisory board. The Tax Reform Council believes implementing a CBDC would lead to increased government surveillance, greater intrusion from tax authorities, and a heightened risk of cyber attacks on the nation's monetary system. Uh, The advisory board seems to, this is just me reading it. Uh, They've announced the formation of their advisory board and it looks like there are 12 people on it, uh, basically economists and uh, like the, there's an American on here, I guess. 
uh, I can't pronounce his name. Oh, no, is, is that George Norquist or Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform? Uh, and there's others. So there's 12 people on this thing altogether. The think tank shares similar concerns to the UK Bitcoin community, which has been vocal in its criticism of CBDCs. Jordan Walker, co-founder of the UK's Bitcoin Collective, explained that the rollout of CBDCs in the UK is dangerous on a matter of fronts. We would be handing over more control of our money to the government and central bank. Further quote, this ties the monetary system ever closer to the political system, which has caused significant problems in the past and the present. Instead, we should be aiming to separate money and politics. That's right. Separation of money and state, bitches. The advisory board economists, including Patrick Minford, Julian Jessup, and Schoen, stated that, quote, the decision of the Bank of England to pursue a British CBDC raises a number of very real concerns. The group seeks to raise awareness of the increased government surveillance that CBDCs may offer. In fact, they do offer, by the way. CBDCs claim to offer greater financial inclusion, which is bullshit, reduced costs for businesses and consumers, which is bullshit, an increase and increased security, which is complete and utter nonsense. However, Bitcoin already offers these advantages and more. El Salvador banked swaths of its population by introducing the Bitcoin law, while Bitcoin also provides a way out for those living in authoritarian regimes. In the UK, the Treasury and the Bank of England have been recruiting for CBDC roles. The Bank of England has highlighted the need to create a digital version of the British pound despite pushback from the broader crypto community. According to the Tax Reform Council, every personal transaction made using a CBDC would be recorded on the Bank of England's private blockchain ledger, giving the taxman unprecedented access to individuals' financial history. The press release stated that this is already happening in China with the Remimbi CBDC. Walker sounded the alarm, quote, I believe we are closer to the rollout than many think, and unless we have greater education around this topic, we'll see many people in this country unknowingly get sucked into this digital monetary control. So any of you guys that are my listeners that live in Britain, UK, you know, any of the, you know, countries that are affected, commonwealths and whatnot, that are affected by this, I would get Bitcoin sooner than later. Because I really believe that what's going to happen is we're going to have a complete bifurcation of, well, basically all of finance between in, in, in the melting pot that is the human population. There are going to be some people that have Bitcoin and the more horror stories they see like this, the less and less likely they're going to want to engage with anything that even remotely smells like legacy financial institution. And more and more merchants will just go, you know what? This is just also tiresome. Just we'll figure it out on our own. I'll, t- I'll take Bitcoin, I'll pay my, you know, my vendors in Bitcoin and their vendors will start seeing the same thing and it's just going to be a cascade. I think we have enough vendors at this moment that I wouldn't say it's critical mass, but I think we have enough of a unit together, a cohesive solid unit together around the world that will drive other vendors and then there will be a critical mass. And once that happens... I don't know. I mean, I could say, well, there'll be hyper-Bitcoinization, but honestly, a physical fight is probably more likely 
between, you know, uh, well, you, you get it. You've seen what governments have done in the past to secure their shit. They'll do it again. And Bitcoin isn't, isn't just a, I mean, it's a way out, but it's also a match that could ignite something that is very, very ugly. So be prepared, but you don't want to be on the wrong side of history. You don't want to be on the side of CBDCs because I fear that you'll never be able to get out. They will hit the on-ramps and the off-ramps and that will, they're doing it now and they'll always continue to do it until there's just no way to do it unless you start earning your pay in Bitcoin. And that means entrepreneurship. It's going to drive entrepreneurship. It's going to drive a new financial theory. It's going to drive everything that's new, but it's not going to come without pain. Please understand that none of this that we're embarking on is going to be easy. It hasn't been easy, but it's going to get worse. That's okay. Humanity is built for it. Now, Helen Parks, Cointelegraph, UK FCA, financial crimes or whatever, uh, to take action against unregistered illegal cryptocurrency ATMs. There's one of the on-ramp, off-ramps I was just talking about. The United Kingdom's financial regulator, the financial, oh, the Financial Conduct Authority, is coming for unregistered cryptocurrency automated teller machines, or ATMs. The FCA and the cyber team at West Yorkshire Police have taken action against several sites in and around Leeds City suspected of hosting illegally operated crypto ATMs. And according or announcing the news on February the 14th, the FCA emphasized that no crypto ATM operators in the United Kingdom currency have uh, or currently have FCA registration. The authority, respect my authority, stated that all crypto exchange providers, including ATM crypto operators, must be registered with the FCA and comply with the UK money laundering regulations. Quote, unregistered crypto ATMs operating in the UK are doing so illegally. FCA's Executive Director of Enforcement, Mark Stewart, said, adding that the regulator will continue to disrupt unregistered crypto businesses in the country. The executive also noted that crypto products are currently unregulated and high risk, warning investors to be prepared to lose all of their money with crypto. According to police detective Sergeant Lindsey Brantz, local enforcement officers have issued several warning letters to crypto ATM operators requesting cease and desist using the machines. Quote, any breach of regulations would result in an investigation under money laundering regulations, he added. How are you money laundering? See, this, see how this works? See how this works? Money laundering. You're just using an ATM, bro. You need to actually prove money laundering. So I guess it's like, yeah, they're initiating an investigation. What, on every fucking transaction? Don't you have like any prior art to this? And what I mean by prior art is like, yeah, we've been watching you, pal. We've seen you make some pretty nefarious shit go down in the past. And yeah, you were watching. The guy behind you, we don't know that guy. We're not going to waste our time investigating. But here, they're just going to investigate everybody, I guess. See, this is the scare tactic. According to, or sorry, rather, the FCA's action against crypto ATMs would apparently affect a notable number of ATM operators, as there are at least 28 locations providing Bitcoin ATMs in the UK, according to data from Coin ATM Radar. 
More than 50% of those crypto ATM locations are situated in London, with additional locations near Birmingham, Manchester, and Nottingham, the data shows. The latest attack on crypto ATMs in the UK is not the first action taken by the FCA. In March of 2022, the same authority issued a similar statement on the termination of Bitcoin ATMs in the country, calling ATM operators to shut down or face further action. At the time of writing, the FCA has issued registration of a total of 41 crypto firms in the United Kingdom, including platforms like Gemini, Zodia Custody, Bitpanda, Revolut, and others. At what point do the people of a country stop listening to the bullshit? Pregnant pause there. I I don't get it anymore. It is very clear that we are slaves, no matter what country you live in. You're slaves to your government. None, this was never supposed, that's a fucking monarchy. It's not a government. It just, it, it amazes me that we just are continuously putting up with this shit. And every time I read these stories now, there's, there's one scene from the movie Tombstone that comes into my head when the sheriff of the county comes in and talks to the boys after the shootout at the OK Corral and places them all under arrest. Kurt Russell's character says, I don't think we're going to allow ourselves to be arrested today, Behan. When do we get our spines back and just do it? I, you know, I know, I get it. Nobody wants to go to jail. Nobody wants to go to prison. We have families, we have jobs, we we have all this stuff. It's going to be taken away anyway. You see the writing on the wall. It's, it's not cursive. It's in print in great big capital letters. We are going to take everything that you own away from you and you will do exactly what we say forever. That's what the writing on the wall says. We either fight it now or we fight it later. I don't know. And I don't even know how to fight it. If I had a, if I had a game plan, I would give it to you, but I don't. I don't even know where to begin because our fathers and our grandfathers and our great grandfathers were being pussies too. None of us, I mean, the, the only fighting that was done by the greatest generation was World War II. And honestly, who really believes that World War II was caused by the assassination of an Austrian prince? Really? Really? You don't think it was like all kinds of weird subterfuge going on underneath the surface? All kinds of weird deals that were being made and were collapsing and all kinds of nefarious shit going on? And they just said, no, it's because they blew away this prince. No. Stop believing that fucking nonsense. That's how you get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of young men to salivate for little bits of colored ribbon and metal and go kill their fellow man that they've never met, that never did anything to them, that they never did anything to and did it out of this false sense of patriotism. I love patriotism when it is correctly handled, when it is correctly applied, but we haven't seen that shit ever. None of us, none of us living have ever seen patriotism correctly applied. It's always about 
the Muslims are going to kill you. Or God, the Japanese are going to make you eat fish heads and rice. That was a thing back in World War II. And Hitler was, was not a good person. Your general German on the street didn't know. I mean, it was, they were just as bamboozled as Americans or anybody else who sent their children to war got bamboozled. It was all a lie, man. It's all a lie. We, if we don't do something about this shit now, we're just going to be slaves forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to break out of slavery later than it is right now. I guarantee you that. But we have other fish to fry. Binance withdrawals and BUSD redemption surge post Paxos crackdown. Jesse Coughlin, Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance has seen a surge of withdrawals over the last 24 hours as investors appear to be spooked over recent events of regulatory action against Paxos and its stablecoin Binance USD or BUSD. At the same time, the BUSD token has recorded significant redemptions with 342 million with an M BUSD burned over the last 24 hours, according to PeckShield. On February the 12th, news broke that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission gave notice of potential enforcement action against Paxos. It alleged the stablecoin is uh, an unregistered security, an assertion that, of course, Paxos denies. Data compiled from the blockchain intelligence platform NASA, or NASN, shows that Binance recorded 24-hour multi-chain token net outflows of $788.5 million U.S. caused by outflows of $2.7 billion U.S. exceeding inflows of around $1.97 billion. According to Dune Analytics, Analytics, it is the largest 24-hour net outflow since December the 17th when Binance's proof of reserve audits were removed from auditors Mazer's website. The spokesperson for Binance told Cointelegraph that funds are SAFU, backed by a secure asset fund for users. Literally, secure asset fund for users. SAFU. Ugh. God, that's awful. Echoing what Binance chief Shengpeng Zhao said earlier on February the 13th. The spokesperson added that the exchange recently had a sell-off with more than $1 billion withdrawn in a 12-hour period, which it claims was managed with ease. Quote, we run a very simple business model, hold assets in custody and generate revenue from transaction fees, Binance said, adding, quote, we take our responsibility as a custodian seriously and maintain one-to-one backing for every user asset. Honestly, do you really have to say that? I mean, like, who are you reassuring when you say stupid shit like, we take responsibility as a custodian of your funds seriously? Did you think I was going to put my money with somebody who I thought didn't take it seriously? Seriously? Following the SEC's action and a reported tip-off from USD Coin Issuer Circle, the New York Department of Financial Services ordered Paxos to halt the issuance of BUSD on February the 13th. The outflows and token burns seemingly are in response to those events with crypto users cashing out of the stablecoin over fears of further regulatory action. Everything but Bitcoin is a shitcoin and that includes stablecoins. Binance reserves harbor 
the, the largest amount of BUSD holding $14.4 billion worth of the stable coin. Let's read it again. BUSD holding $14.4 billion US worth of the stable coin or around 90% of the $16.1 billion market cap. The crypto exchange also has around $60 billion worth of reserves, Jesus, with 22% of that being made up of BUSD. It's the end of the article, but it's not the end of your mandate. Your mandate is to get your shit off of exchanges. Just stop doing this. It is not worth it. Everything is now in the crosshairs. Everything is in danger. There is always going to be risk and danger to Bitcoin, but Bitcoin's the only thing equipped to actually survive it. None of these other things are going to be able to survive. They don't have the, they don't have the equipment. They don't have the battle hardness. They don't have the history. They don't have the user base. It's just, it can't survive. Is there danger to Bitcoin here? Yes. And there always will be but it's the only one equipped to survive this crap. Draft EU rules. Now, here we go to the EU. Draft EU rules will force banks to give cryptocurrency the highest risk rating. Will McCurdy finishes us off from decrypt.co. Under a new draft EU set of rules, banks holding cryptocurrency may soon be forced under law to assign the digital assets the highest possible risk rating. Let's stop right there. Let's come back to the United States and think of rating agencies. Moody's. Uh, who else does? Uh, I can't remember who else does it. Moody's is a rating firm. There's, there's the top three. Moody's is one of them in the United States. And when you do all the shit for the SEC and you list your, your stock you know, IPO as a security and you get the, the green light to go, you get a rating from the ratings agencies. So do bonds. So do junk bonds. So does everything. They all get like double A, triple A, triple A plus, you know, double A minus, double A minus minus. I mean, the whole rating scheme is, yeah, I know you're saying a scam, but first of all, it's convoluted as hell. And then it's a scam. All you have to do is just, there's that, that whole scene in the big short where they're talking to, you know, one of the chiefs of a rating agency and asking her, the hell's going on with these housing bonds and how come they haven't lost their AAA rating? And she's saying, well, if we didn't do it, they would just go down the street to S&P or whoever is another, you know, rating house. And that's what's going on. Okay, well, that's bad enough because, you know, people on the open market are saying, well, if you're going to pay a million dollars for a AAA rating, I'll pay a million and 10, you know, or $1.1 million for a AAA rating. And then there's at least there's a free market involved. In this case, the ratings are going to be dictated by government policy. There's a difference, ladies and gentlemen. They're both bad, but one is entirely way worse than the other. Guess which one it is? It's this one. As per the published legal draft, banks would need to give all of their crypto asset exposure a proposed risk weight of 1,250% until December of 2024, meaning that they'll be forced to hold an equal amount of capital matching the crypto that they hold. These rules are still set for parliamentary approval. Longer term, banks may need to conform to a larger set of new requirements laid out in a late December 2022 document from the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision. 
which is set to come into play during January of 2025. According to the latest announcement from the European Union, the Commission is set to adopt a legislative proposal by the 31st of December 2024 that would look to transpose elements of the BCBS standard into EU law long term. These upcoming changes to the capital and reporting requirements were confirmed to decrypt by an EU spokesperson in January of this year following Reuters first leaking news of the increased capital requirements. The capital requirements outlined in the Basel Committee's requirements are set to differ depending on the type of crypto asset looked at. Well-known cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and Shitcoin Number 1 would be considered to be Group 2 cryptocurrency assets according to the documentation. Group 2 assets are then subdivided into two groups by the committee. Group A which covers crypto holdings that are made via ETFs or other derivatives, which can be traded on regulated public markets, and Group B, where this isn't the case. Group 2B assets will be given a proposed risk weight of 1,250%, whereas Group 2A will be subject to lower requirements, but we don't know what. However, other forms of cryptocurrency assets, such as tokenized versions of traditional assets like equities, some types of stable coins, which don't rely on algorithms to maintain their price, and potential central bank digital currencies would fall under lower capital requirements and are considered to be in group one. Mm -hmm. of, course you're, of course they're going to do that. In addition, under the new rules, there will be strict limitations on the proportion of type two crypto assets, which banks will be able to hold on their books. A bank's total exposure to Group 2 crypto assets must not exceed 2% of the bank's capital and should generally be lower than 1% according to the proposed rules. Commenting on the move, the EU Commission's announcement highlighted how recent adverse development in the crypto asset markets have made mitigating the risks of crypto assets urgent, saying that, quote, existing prudential rules are not designed to adequately capture the risks inherent to crypto assets. So there you go. That's the end of the article. They're coming on strong. We, we've been waiting for it. I mean, it's, it, honestly, guys, it's, it's not like we had no idea this was going to occur. We knew full well this shit was going to occur. We kept waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it to come on full strength. It's now here. It's now here. Get your shit off of exchanges. Don't use third-party custodianship. Learn how to self-custody your Bitcoin. Divest yourself of all your shit coins. Get out, get out, get out, and get yourself a cold card wallet or something that you can spin up your own private key, and then locate all of your Bitcoin into various wallets that you generate under that same single private key so that you and you alone will have access to your Bitcoin. Because if you leave this shit with a bank, especially in the EU right now and the UK, you're going to get hosed. Something else is going to drop where they're going to say you can't hold anything or rather say we need an expungement from the banks before these rules can take place. And we've got to basically convert everything that you hold in your bank account to digital pounds or euros or whatever. And we'll give you that. And we'll give you that. Don't be fooled, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to do it for the morning roundup.
have a joke. Dad says jokes. Don't don't worry about your smartphone and TV spying on you. Your vacuum cleaner has been gathering dirt on you for years. All right, we are 15 minutes past uh, my normal targeted time of one hour. So I'm just going to simply say, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.